Oh, you know, it's important that each one of us in our lives understand who our master is and understands that God has called each one of us to a specific purpose. And the only way for us to fulfill that purpose is to live wholeheartedly for him. Last week, we started talking about Rehoboam and this this king, Rehoboam, really needs to or needed to decide what kind of path would he take? What life would he live? He was struggling. He was double minded. Would he be like his grandfather, David? Would he turn out to be more like David or would he turn out to be more like Solomon, his father? We said that Rehoboam inherited two promises. The first promise was wonderful. It was a promise that was given to his grandfather, David, decades earlier. And this was an important promise. We find it in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So Rehoboam had security in this promise. That was a good promise. If, that, if, you're, if you're going in to become the king, that would be a good promise to hold on to. God promised that David's line would reign on the throne in Israel forever. There'd be someone in David's line reigning forever. Okay, that's good. Good so far. So good so far. Of course, we know that Jesus eventually fulfilled that promise because he was in the line of David and of Solomon and of Jeroboam. Jesus fulfilled it because his reign is eternal. His reign is eternal. So we have the fulfillment of that promise. The second promise was not so great. It was not so great. This was a promise that was given to Solomon, Rehoboam's father Solomon, because of his unfaithfulness to God later on in his life. And we see it in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. It says, Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give, it, give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. So while Rehoboam inherits all of Israel, he knows, he knows that the, the kingdom is ultimately going to be split. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be on his watch. God didn't say on your watch, when, as you are king, it will be split in two. He doesn't say that. It doesn't have to be on Rehoboam's watch. But his double-minded life led to the splitting of the nation. Because Rehoboam lived a double life, because he did not seek God with his whole heart, because he, he dabbled a little bit here and dabbled a little bit there, the kingdom was basically split in two. We said that his first mistake was following his own will. Rehoboam followed his own will. God had a plan for him. God had a purpose for him. But Rehoboam decided, I'm going to follow my own will. But then Rehoboam made what I think is even a worse mistake. He allowed pride to dictate his decisions. Pride is the root cause of all sin. And Rehoboam allowed pride 
to dictate his decisions. In Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, After Rehoboam's position as king, listen to this, After Rehoboam's position as king was established, and he had become strong, so his kingdom is established, God establishes his kingdom, God allows him to become strong. After that it says, He and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. Things start going well. It's all worked out. He thinks he's got, you know, a tiger by the tail. And then all of a sudden, it says he and all Israel with him starts with the leadership. It always starts, the, what they say, the fish rots from the head down, right? Starts with the leadership. They abandon the law of the Lord. Even though the Lord had removed the ten northern tribes of Israel from Rehoboam, he, he still had mercy and he still, he, he still followed through with his, with his merciful and faithful promise. He promised Rehoboam what he was going to do. He fulfilled that. He made them strong. He, he established the, the kingdom. He did all of those things. See, Judah had become the center of worship for the Lord because the northern tribes of Jeroboam had already begun to worship idols, other idols. So they, you know, God promised Jeroboam, if you do this, I will give you a lasting, a strong and lasting kingdom. Jeroboam, though, decided to do the same thing as Rehoboam. I'm not going to follow the will of God. God laid it all out for me, told me that he will make my kingdom a strong and lasting kingdom. But Jeroboam decided to do the exact same thing as Rehoboam, if you will, which is follow his own will. He thought, well, if I go, if I start worshiping there, I could get, you know, I, I could get killed or things could, uh, people could come together. I'd lose my kingdom. All of these things began to wash through his mind. So he sets up a couple calves, golden calves. They start to worship there. But God in his faithfulness made sure when it came to Rehoboam, God in his faithfulness made sure that his army was strong. The army of Judah was strong and he made sure that her cities were fortified. So strength, strength. And all of a sudden, when you think, okay, my cities are fortified, my army is strong, I'm pretty secure in my life right now. So like his father Solomon, Rehoboam, the Bible says, ruled wisely for a a period of time, a very short period of time. He ruled wisely for a short period of time. And ruling wisely for a short period of time basically means that when things were, were, were a struggle, when he wasn't really sure what was going on, he was, you know, he was in church, right? He was at temple. He was at the temple. He was probably praying. He was seeking God. Remember Jonah? Remember Jonah's attitude? You know, God says, go to Nineveh. And you, you, read Jonah. It's only four chapters. Read through Jonah. Watch how, watch how spiritual Jonah becomes when he's pitched off the ship and he's sinking into the sea and he's all the weeds are wrapped around him. Read that, okay? Read, read everything. Read all of Jonah and read that part. When things are going poorly, all of a sudden Jonah becomes one of the most spiritual people you ever want to meet. He's just pray, you know, he calls out to God and read it, okay? Same thing with Rehoboam here. He's starting, you know, he's serving the Lord. He's going he's gonna to rule wisely, but only for a short period of time. Because like his father, he fell in love with his power and his possessions. 
Just like his dad, Solomon, he fell in love with his power and his possessions. And over time, they became his true desire. They stole his heart. I want you, you got to be thinking about yourself when we were going through this. This is just a history lesson. A lot of history. It's good to learn biblical history. But think of yourself as we're going through this. Think of yourself. So Rehoboam, all of a sudden, he's got the power, he's got the possessions, and that, that becomes the desire of his heart. That steals, that steals his heart from God. Remember what, remember what Matthew 6.21 says? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In his pride, he felt like he no longer needed the Lord. I'm, my army's powerful. I've got my possessions. You know, he gets, starts doing the same thing with wives and concubines and everything. And he's feeling like a praise pretty good. You know what I mean? I have everything I need. I know I, know I don't have the whole kingdom right now, but I have what God said he was going to give me. Everything's great. Uh, I'll, uh, and all of a sudden I start to feel that pride begins to well up, begins to well up in your heart. Like I have ever, I have what I need. I don't need anything else. See, This is where we need to look into our own hearts, all of us, and ask some really difficult questions. This is where you need to stop and say, Lord, start impressing this upon my heart. Do do you live this way? Do you live like Rehoboam? Remember I said in the very beginning of this series, we always want to see ourselves in the heroes of the Bible. And it's good to do that. See yourself in the heroes. Try to become like them. But in order to grow spiritually, you also have to see yourselves in those who have fallen short. And so ask yourself, do I live this way? You know, uh, do, do I live like I, I've got everything I need, right? I'm pretty, honestly, let's be honest. We're comfortable here in this country. We're really comfortable. We have everything we could ever possibly imagine. We have, we, other, we, we sometimes get frustrated because maybe we don't have this, we don't have that. But if you look at statistics, if you look at the rest of the world, um, they would, this is Shangri-La, to the rest of the world. And so the question is, do we live like Rehoboam? Do we feel like we have all that we need? And then more than that, once we have all that we, we need, do we, do we have the attitude that it, the reason that we have it is because of us? I mean, of course, I pull myself up my own bootstraps. I've worked really hard. Why would I not have all these things? Look at me. I'm so smart. I'm so talented. I'm so whatever. And you don't say that out loud. Some do, but most people don't. They just, they just think it in their hearts. Well, the reason I have what I have is I worked really hard. I did all these things. I was this. I was that. And so, therefore, I have everything I need. And so we don't depend on God anymore because we have what we, we feel secure. We feel, we feel strong. Our position, we have our position in life. We feel strong. So therefore, you don't need God anymore. You ever feel, I mean, be honest with yourself. I can tell you right now, our nation feels that way. Just be honest. Our nation definitely feels just like I described. They feel this way. Um, In order for people to avoid making the same mistakes throughout history, you have to study history. You have to remember history or you're doomed to repeat it. And there's a passage in Ezekiel that I read years and years ago that really struck me. And as, I, as time has gone on, I've said, wow, this is a real reflection maybe of where we are in our, in our country. It's in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. And it says this. Now this is the sin of, the, of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. I'll just stop right there. She and her daughters were arrogant, 
overfed and unconcerned. I love my country. I love my country. I'm blessed to be born here. God, did never, God never promised I'd be born here, but I was born in America. I love my country, but that describes us in a lot of ways. Arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. We have this attitude sometimes, well, we don't need the Lord. We don't need God because we did, we did this. We, I did this. We did this. It had nothing to do with God blessing us. See, the Bible says that once Rehoboam got in that position of power and got in that position of authority and had everything going for him, it says that he, that he no longer followed the laws of the Lord. They, it says they abandoned, abandoned the very law of the Lord. And because of this, the Lord takes his hand of protection from them and allows them to be attacked by their enemies. God, in his mercy and love takes his hand of protection from them and allows them to get attacked by their enemies. When a nation is blessed by God, truly blessed by God, and then rejects him or abandons him, once we get to the pinnacle of how awesome we really are and we recognize the greatness of who and what we are, and we abandon and we reject God out of love and a desire to bring about repentance, he gives us what we want. It is a scary thing when a holy God answers the prayers of a nation. It is a scary thing when a holy God... I've heard so many of you say, I don't understand this. This makes no sense. This makes no sense. Why, why, why? This makes no sense. It is a scary thing when a loving, holy God answers the prayers of the leadership of a nation. We, do not, we no longer want you a part of our leadership. We no longer want you as a part of our education. We no longer want you as a part. Get out of our lives. Get out, get out, get out. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And go look this up in Exodus. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. When God gives you what you want, it's a very frightening thing. When God answers prayers, you say, well, I don't hear God answered prayer. God answers prayers. And when God answers prayers uh, in this realm, it's a very, very scary thing. And it's only because, it's only because Rehoboam and the people repented and humbled themselves before God that they were, they were spared of to- total annihilation. They, right at the last minute, at the last minute, Rehoboam, all of a sudden, uh-oh, uh-oh, no longer secure, uh-oh, uh-oh, things are not going very well right here. Oh, better get my prayer closet. Oh, better get my Bible off the shelf. Oh, better, better get religious. In this case, he truly humbled, they truly humbled themselves, realizing what was going to happen, and bowed before God, and God relented and didn't allow them to be totally Annihilated, And even though Rehoboam wasn't destroyed, he still had to face the humiliation of being under the he was subject to the king of Egypt. So even though they weren't destroyed, they were subject. They were they were in, they were in submission to the king of Egypt. And not only that, he had to watch as all of the treasures of the temple were looted and taken somewhere else. They were just carted off by the by the king of Egypt. So he was under the reign of another king and all the wealth was taken from him. 
Second Chronicles 12, 8 puts it this way. They will, however, become subject to him, the other king, so that they may they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the king of other lands. Perspective. It is until we truly understand who we are in relation to God that we get perspective. And God's saying, I need to give them a little perspective. I need to take a step back and say, you, you want it, Rehoboam? Okay, you can have that. I'll back away. I'll do that. And he gives them a little bit of perspective and there's repentance. Have you ever noticed how we sometimes don't realize what we have and how great we have it until we lose it. Ever, I mean, just, just be honest. Let's just come on as people. You ever notice that? You ever notice that you don't really appreciate what you have until it's taken away from you? Relationships, your job, your health. You ever notice that? I, what I, I notice about myself sometimes and I get so frustrated. And, you know, I... There's, I've said this before, but I have this silly thing. I take my garbage can. I have a long, we live on Butler Warren Road, and I have this long concrete drive, and I drag my garbage can all the way down. And on the way back up, I look at my house sometimes, and I just stop and say, my goodness, I couldn't have ever imagined living in something so amazing when I was younger. Couldn't even imagine. Two and a half acres, little pond in the backyard. I got apple trees. I got chickens. I'm having a blast. It's awesome. Could never have imagined having something like that. But every once in a while, I, I catch myself, it's like, well, this is enough, and that's not enough. And that's, you know, it, it, it's very frustrating to be human sometimes, you know. But God brings you back to perspective. And it, have you noticed that? You don't recognize what you have until it is gone, until it's taken from you. It's something I will never understand about human nature. Whatever we have, we want more. It's never good enough. We're never satisfied. If, if they did a study with little uh, infants one time, they put them in a crib and they put a little mobile mobile thing around them, and it was like three little horses on that thing, and it spun around. The baby's like, "This is great. This is fantastic. Little three little horses. This is woohoo!" You know what I mean? He's like, the eyes are going and all overstimulation. It was awesome. And then they took a little mobile thing with twelve horses on there. And he, oh man, this is really fantastic. Oh, 12, oh, they're all different colors and everything. And then they replaced the 12 horses with three horses again. You know what the baby did? Cried. He was like, well, I'm, I'm being ripped off here. You know what I mean? What happened to the 12 horses and all little sparkly things? You know, the baby didn't want anything to do with the three horses after he had 12. We, we just, if we, once we have something, we want more and more and more. And Proverbs 132 says this clearly. It says, the, 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 the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. We, when we get something, when we get what we ask for some, sometimes, it destroys us. We want more and we want more when we're never satisfied with what we have. Rehoboam, that was his, part of his problem. That was part of his problem. Instead of just honoring God and following God and living for God and having one wife, okay, having heirs and doing what God would want him to do. No, he wants more and more. If one wife is good, 10 is better, 50 is better, 100 is better. More, 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 more. Until his life becomes, he lives a double life. You know, I tell our students, I try to tell them all the time, decide for yourself what you want for your life. Decide now how you want to live your life. What kind of car do you want to drive? 
Decide now the type of car that you want to drive. Decide what kind of house you want to live in. How big is big enough for you right now? Decide before you get everything. Decide now, because if you don't decide now, you're never going to be satisfied. It's never going to be enough. Your car is never going to be fast enough. Your house is never going to be big enough. If you don't decide right now how you want to live your life, and then no matter how much you have, you've reached a point where you're comfortable and you say, yes, I'm comfortable where I'm living. I'm comfortable in the car I'm driving. I'm comfortable resources I have in the vacations I'm going to take. It's okay to do all those things but then after that give those resources away give them away don't worry about getting more and more i tell them that all the time because if you don't do that you will never be satisfied god in his mercy and love allowed a foreign ruler if you will to have power over judah and you say how can you say that's loving and merciful because he wanted to prevent their pride from reoccurring he did that in order to keep them in check so they wouldn't have this, this reoccurrence of pride. Can you imagine? I'll tell you exactly what would happen because it happens all the time. Read your Bible. They go in. Oh, we did this. We did that. We did that. They, they set up different idols and they, didn't, they just abandoned worship of God. And then all of a sudden their, their, their culture collapses and God allows foreign armies to come in. They get taken to captivity. After a while, they're crying out to God for and God delivers them. And they're put in a position where they have power and they have wealth and everything's going really, really well. And they don't. And instead of saying, wow, this is fantastic. We should have learned from our 15 other mistakes that we've made. Because every generation decides, oh, they don't know what the heck they were doing and forgets history. They keep do the same thing over and over and over. It comes down to this double mindedness of living the life that the will, your will be done, right? My will be done. And then pride overtakes us and we fall into this trap over and over and over again. Have you ever, has pride ever gotten the best of you? Has it ever led you into humiliating experience? Like, have you ever not done, some, done something you really wanted to do? Something really amazing in life because of your pride. I'd love to have gone out for this play or gone out for this team or tried out for this or, or gone out for this job or tried to advance in my career. I, I, but, you, but you thought, well, not, I'm not talking about fear. I'm talking about pride. Well, what if I don't make it? And what if I don't get picked? Or what if I don't? And so you don't even try to do something amazing. You don't even try to experience something amazing. Maybe something great. It doesn't matter if you made the team or made the thing or whatever else. You got to experience. You got to experience something great. And maybe you would have made the team. Maybe you would. But you didn't because you didn't try. Because you're afraid if you fail, somehow people are going to laugh or someone's going to say something. And you're not going to look as good. So you throw all of that away. I work with a pastor one time who refused to go to conferences because if he went to the conference, it would look like he didn't know what he was doing. And so he didn't want to go to conferences because I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. And if I go there, it means I have to learn something. Well, you know what? Going to a conference, you may be in ministry for 50 years. You can always learn something new and you get to hang out with people who are like minded and share stories. And maybe there are people at that conference whose lives are being broken and they're overwhelmed by ministry and you can come alongside of them during that conference and pray with them and encourage them and invest in their husband and their wife and everything. It's, it, it's, there's lots of reasons why we do things, but they wouldn't do it because he didn't want to look like he needed something that they may have to offer. Rehoboam allowed his pride to lead him into the worship of false gods. 
He was really comfortable and it led him, his pride led him that next step, which is the third big mistake he made. He, he basically started to reject God and he, you know, he dabbled back and forth, but he was rejecting God and he began to worship other gods. Third big mistake. See, at that time, the worship of the Lord centered around the temple. But like his father, Solomon, Rehoboam allowed other gods, other idols, other temples to be set up in the country. He allowed the the worship of other gods. He did the same thing, started marrying all these different people, all all these other temples, all these other worship areas were brought in. And so he began to worship at those temples as well. First Kings 14, 23 and 24 says they also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. They went right back. They they started. The nation begins to slip into immorality. We don't need God. What do we need God for? We did this on our own. And they begin to worship other things. You say, well, we don't worship other. I don't. I don't worship other idols. Well, let's let's think about that for a second. See, Rehoboam had compromised his faith. Let me say that again. Rehoboam compromised his faith. I want you to think about this for yourself. Do you worship something other than God? Do you worship something other than God? Every single one. You know, oh yeah, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, those Israelites, what's wrong with them? The question is now, do I, does Jeff Greer worship something other than God? Is something in my life, does something rival my passion, my love, my commitment to God? There is something else in my life that, that, is, that is rivaling my love for God. That's the question I, that we all need to answer here as we, we begin to close out this out. Does, it, does anything else rival? Is, does money rival it? Does, do sports rival it? Does my job, my, maybe my appearance, I'm so consumed with how I appear in front of other people, what I look like and everything else, that it rivals my, that becomes an idol. It becomes something that rivals with God. See, Rehoboam worshipped at the temple of the Lord. Yeah, he come over here. He, come on. He's not going to, he's going to still worship, you know, over here a little bit and worship the Lord God and everything. But then he would go and worship in other temples and other and worship other gods. He was double minded. He, he was in love with the world. He still loved the world. He lived two different lives. He was double minded. We need, we need to process through this very carefully and ask ourselves, are we double minded? I know this is hard. I know it's hard to, to, to look in your own life and look in your own heart and your own motives, but it's really important. Do we live double lives? See, think about this with me for a second. I, I feel like the temple represented the people's spiritual lives, right? The temple represented people's spiritual lives. As the temple was empty, remember I said the king of of, of Egypt, you know, grabbed all of the things in the temple, all all everything that Solomon put in there, he carted them off. They were gone, and just like the temple was empty, so were the hearts of the people. They were empty. On the outside, okay, the temple looked like the temple, right? It looked fine. 
On the inside and the people's hearts, the same thing. Their hearts were void. The inside was void. See, the king of Egypt had taken the hundreds of gold shields that Solomon had put into the temple. These were hundreds of gold shields, beautiful gold shields. Solomon put them into the temple. The king of Egypt took those, and Rehoboam's response to that, and I think this is just a great connecting point analogy, Rehoboam's response was to replace those gold shields with bronze or brass shields. He replaced them. See, if you polish bronze from a distance, it looks pretty shiny, right? looks pretty good. Bronze, all shiny. You have bronze things or brass things. It's kind of a you know, mix. And you, they, look, they, they, they look pretty shiny. It may fool some people into thinking it's, the, it's really gold. But, but over time, over time, it shows. It becomes dull. It's not gold. It becomes dull. It doesn't have the, the quality or lasting shine of gold in life. Truth and time walk hand in hand in, in life. Truth and time walk hand in hand. And whether it's things or whether it's people in time, they will be exposed for what they truly are. You can fool some people for a period of time. You can fool them for a period of time. But if you stay in the same area, okay, around the same people, you will be exposed over time. Truth and time walk hand in hand. You'll be exposed for what you truly are. Unlike gold, which is pure, bronze is a mixture. It's a, it's a mixture. It's a cheap imitation of the real thing. It's not the same. Rehoboam's faith had become a mixture. He had one foot in the world. He had one foot in, if you will, the temple. It was, it was a mixture. He had become on closer inspection like the bronze shields that he put in the temple, that he replaced in the temple. He had become that himself. He was a mixture. Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14 says, He did evil because he did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Let me read that again. He did evil because he did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. He set his heart on it. He, 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 he dabbled over here a little bit and ruled wisely for a little while when things were not as comfortable as he would like them to be. But in reality, he never set his heart on the Lord. He didn't set his heart. And I'm asking myself and I'm asking you, are we setting our hearts on the Lord? Do we set our hearts on the Lord? Or are we serving two masters? How would our faith... How would our hearts stand up under closer inspection? Question. How would my faith, how would my heart stand up under closer inspection? At first glance, our hearts might look pure as gold from a distance for a short period of time. It might look pure as gold. But the question is, if we hold it under the light and truth of God's word, what is exposed in my life? What is exposed in your life? If you hold it under the light and the truth of the word of God, what is exposed in our lives? Because here's the thing. God cares about motives. God cares about conscience. God cares about attitudes. God cares about the heart. What's going on inside. Not what the outside looks like when we Polish it up. 
Make it look good for a parent. Well, when your parents are you, you polish it up a little bit so it looks decent when you're, you know, around the right people, the people you need to polish it up for. But how about in other places? How about when we leave here on Sundays? How do we live our lives then? What does your language expose? When you're, when you're not in here, when you leave here, what does your language expose? How you communicate with other people, what you say, how do, what does that expose? What, what does your behavior at your fav, favorite club expose? When you go clubbing, what does your, what is your behavior within those environments expose about your life? What does it say under closer inspection, under the light and truth of God's word, what does that expose? What do your business practices expose about your life? About my life? What, 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 what do these things expose, expose about? What does your attitude towards your parents expose about you? What does it say? Under the light of God's truth and God's word, what does it expose about our lives? These are good questions to ask. You shouldn't feel terrible. I don't want people feeling miserably guilty and all, all, you know, all. I don't want that. What I want to do is take a step back and say, you know what? In the light of these heroes of the Bible, I see myself in them. I really do. And I try. I really try to be like them. But you know what? Now you're bringing up Rehoboam. You know what? I see myself in him too. I see myself in him. There's some, there's some rough edges I need to, sh- to shave down here so that God can work and do the miracles he wants to do through me. That's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to focus on. That's what I want to reflect on the remainder of the service. I want you to bow your heads with me. Just bow your heads with me. I want you, the remainder of the service, since only a couple more minutes, and, but I want you to focus on the truth of God's word and let God expose the truth in your life. Let God expose the truth in your life. Are you living a lie? Let's be honest. Are you living a lie? You know, you show up because you have to show up. Maybe you're a teenager, junior high, high school, whatever the case may be, and you're showing up to church because you have to show up because you don't want anyone to know the life you're really living. Are you living a lie? Are are you living a double life? You got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You kind of like to come. You like the atmosphere. But in reality, once you leave here, you know, just it's like you compartmentalize. You're one way here. You're totally different in around the other people that aren't believers. Are, are you pretending to live for Christ while loving the world? Are you acting more like Demas or Aristarchus? Are you, are you living more like Axel or Rehoboam? Are there areas of sin in your life that you refuse to let go? These are areas, it's not that you're not even really struggling, kind of, because you just don't want to let them go. You pretend you want to let them go, but in your heart of hearts, you're not really making any distinct decisions to try to overcome those things. So are there areas of sin in your life? I mean, just call it what it is that you refuse to let go. Are you religious, if you will, when it's convenient or when you need something from God? Pull pull your Bible off the shelf. Pray really hard when things are going wrong. Are you religious when it's convenient or you just need something from God? 
I want you to please, I'm, I'm, I'm in this with you, okay? We're in this together. It's not the pastor preaching at you. I'm sharing with you. And my encouragement is don't wait for God to humble you. God loves you so much. He will not continue to allow you to live this way. And at some point, out of his love and mercy, he will humble you. Don't wait for God to humble you. It's time to change. Change now. Change this morning. Leave here a different person than when you walked in. It's time to truly give your life to Jesus Christ. To give your life to him. Not part of it. Not some of it. All of it. Will you be perfect? No, you will not. You will make mistakes. You will fall short. But that's okay. Just repent. Ask God to forgive you and move on. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We know, he knows we're not perfect. But he's looking at the attitude. He's looking at the motives. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the conscience. I put a cross up front, right up front here. And there are nails and paper lying next to it all around the front of the stage. You can come to the front of the stage. And I want you to, I want you to just think as, as, as Jen sings this song, I, I want God to expose those things in your life. Ask God, ask him to expose those things in your life where you're living a double life, where you need to let go. Write them down on the paper and then nail them to the cross. Turn the paper around so that no one can see what you wrote. Don't sign your name to it. It's between you and God. This is about you and God. Submitting yourself to him, repenting, giving those things up for him so that you're not living a double life. And so when you're held onto the light of truth, you're a reflection of Jesus Christ. All of us need that. No matter where we are in our lives, all of us need that. So we're going to take the rest of this service. When you're finished, you can leave. When you're finished nailing, if you, if you choose to nail something to the cross, wonderful. If not, you can sit quietly at whatever point the Holy Spirit leads you. You can get up and nail it to the cross. Write it down. There are pens up here. There's paper. Turn it over. Nail it to the cross. And then leave it behind. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Let Jesus have it. And then pray for God to give you the strength to continue to overcome those things that you're struggling with. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord God, to come before you and to, and to just confess our sin, Lord God, those things that are holding us back. Whatever we're, we, are, we are putting in rivalry with you, Lord God, I pray that we would leave that behind this morning. That we would all leave that behind. We would walk out of here refreshed and renewed and restored. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.